Thanks for listening to the Dira Exiles podcast. This message was originally preached on January 30th, 2022 to City Church in downtown Iowa City. Um, I'm going to start this morning by reading a passage from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can feel free to look it up or you can go to that City Church service liturgy online and you can refer to it um, throughout the service. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. When the seventh month came and the people of Israel were all settled in their towns, all the people gathered together in the area in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, according to which the Lord had instructed Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. This assembly was made up of both men and women and anyone who could understand what they heard. Facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud from early morning until the middle of the day. He read it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and everyone listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose, and standing beside him were Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right side, while Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, Meshulam stood on his left-hand side. I know, big eyes over these names, right? <laughs> Standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll in the side of all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, Amen, Amen, while raising their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites... Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Peliah, they helped the people to understand the instruction while the people remained in their places. They read aloud from the scroll the instruction from God, explaining and interpreting it so the people could understand what they heard. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. They said this because all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Go, eat rich food and drink something sweet, he said to them, and send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. The Levites also calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be sad. Then all of the people went to eat and to drink, to send portions, and to have a great celebration because they understood what had been said to them. This is a very complicated story to which we need context to understand. And I'm going to come back and, and give you guys some context in just a minute. There are a lot of long, big names in there, too, that you don't need to remember, and there will be no quiz over. But um, I will return to this in just a moment. About two and a half years ago, on a rainy Sunday morning, a woman walked in right through these doors over here, and she was looking for the library. Church was about to start in five minutes. It was raining, the library was closed, so we invited her to stay for service. She gratefully accepted because she didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, She happened to be a visiting professor from a communist country, and she had just arrived within the last week or so to downtown Iowa City. 
So she came in, she introduced herself, we introduced ourselves to her, she sat down in the service, and I kind of kept my eye on her during the service because sometimes I keep an eye on new people and make sure they're doing okay. And I noticed that as we were singing the songs of worship, uh, her eyes were beginning to well up with tears and she was wiping them away. I didn't know what was happening, but after the service, uh, she found out we were gonna be here next Sunday too, and she decided she would be coming back that Sunday as well, and she did. And every week for several weeks, um, this woman who's now a dear friend came every Sunday morning, and she would cry through the worship time. And she would uh, pull out her phone and take pictures of the words of the songs and video the, the band that was playing um, she took pictures of the lyrics because English was not her first language, and she wanted to like think about the words and, and um, study them. And then she and I began meeting regularly for coffee, and she was just full of questions because she'd never been to church, and she didn't know what a sermon was. What's a sermon? What's preaching? Um, she asked, you know, when I told her that I spoke to the congregation every week. And because she'd never been to church, she'd never heard anyone talk about Jesus before. And as we would meet and um, we began to read the Bible and the Gospels, and, and I gave her her own Bible with uh, you know, an English translation and her native language side by side, as we began to meet over at Teaspoons at the Old Capitol Mall, she would often begin crying as we were reading a passage from the Gospels or a story about Jesus's life and ministry. And she would cry in wonder at what she was reading. And, and I'm sure sensing the presence of God, something, sensing something very special was happening and that God was drawing her to him. And there was one day when we read the parable of the sower. Has anyone ever heard the parable of the sower? This is a story that Jesus told about a farmer who went out to scatter seed. And the seed, Jesus said, was like the word of God, like the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, this farmer scattered seed everywhere on all kinds of soil. So some seed fell on the path people walked on, and some seed fell on rocky ground, and some seed fell on thorny ground, and other seed fell in soil that was rich and really well cultivated. And Jesus explained that when people heard the message of the kingdom of God, their hearts might be like any of those types of soil. Uh, if one's, uh, the soil of one's heart is rocky, well, a person might hear the good news, receive it with joy, but have no rootedness to their faith because roots can't grow in rocky soil. And so when, uh, when hardship came, they would fall away. They would wither up in their faith. Uh, Jesus said if the soil of a person's heart was full of thorns and weeds, those weeds would choke out the, the little seedling that would start to grow. And the weeds were like the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and wealth. But Jesus said when seed fell on good soil, on rich soil, it meant that person understood the gospel. They received it with joy. That seed took root and it began to bear fruit. And it bore fruit that bore fruit because the fruit was seed bearing and it would multiply. Well, as my friend began to understand this passage, she started crying again. And she said, this explains why I, when I hear the Bible, I cry. Because long ago, my heart was rocky. I didn't want to hear about God. I had a friend who I knew knew something about Jesus, but I didn't want to hear anything from her. And now I cry when I hear it, she said, because 
my heart has different soil. My heart has good soil, rich soil. And so it was this beautiful moment of her self-understanding and her understanding about the good news. And she welcomed Jesus into her life with joy and abandon. And even though she'd not been here for six months and the pandemic hit, uh, we continued to do our Bible studies over Zoom. She continued to grow in her faith. And now she's back home in her communist country where it's not really legal to be a Christian, but she and Diana and I meet at an ungodly hour in the morning every other week on Fridays to continue studying the Bible together. And she just continues to grow in her joy and in her faith. Um, In the passage we read today uh, from Nehemiah, the people of Israel, I think, were having a similar experience to my friend as they listened to the scriptures. Um, uh, As she encountered the story of Jesus in the gospel and her heart was moved, I think the people here in the crowd are also moved because the scriptures can not only inform us about God and convince us about the reality of God, but they can also diagnose us. They help us actually see and understand ourselves in the light of God very well. And you see, this group of Israelites, they were pretty ignorant. They were oblivious to the reality of God. They um, didn't know much about the evil actions of their ancestors from previous generations, and they stood in danger of repeating the same mistakes, the same uh, errors. But the reading of scripture helped them to understand what they needed to understand, and not just intellectually, but to understand at the level of the heart. So let me tell you about a little bit more what's going on here. If you've read the Old Testament, you're, you're familiar with its narrative arc. Like there's a, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament, but there's a narrative arc. And you'll, you'll know, if you're familiar with it, that it tells this broad story of God's relationship with the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the patriarch. And God made a covenant with Abraham to be faithful to his descendants, the Israelites, to be their God, to deliver them. Uh, And the promise to Abraham was that eventually, through Abraham's descendants, the whole earth was going to be blessed, not just the Israelites. And the Bible tells us that the whole earth was blessed through Abraham's seed because of the person of Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham. But the first several books of the Old Testament account for the ways in which um, God created the, the heavens and the earth, um, and, and it, it accounts for God's relationship with Abraham, and also how the people of Israel then began to not be very faithful to God, even though God was faithful to them. Even though God supernaturally provided for them when they were stuck in the wilderness, uh, even though he did miracles and delivered them into a promised land where their livestock would multiply and their crops would grow well, um, we see that they were not consistently faithful to God. And because of their unfaithfulness to God, the, the warning to the Israelites from God, as he sent many prophets to tell them, hey, you need to correct your ways. There's too much injustice. You're worshiping other gods. Um, the, the warning to them was that they could lose the promised land, that God would not protect them if they continued to do evil and continued to oppress the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, and God said through his prophets, I'm not going to stop other nations from coming in and, and sort of like taking over here if you continue in this manner, if you disregard my law, if you disregard the Ten Commandments and all the other laws of God, which Jesus said could be summed up 
in two commandments, really. The two most important ones, Jesus said, were love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. So they were violating this, along with many other ancillary laws. So the scroll that we, we see was read in Nehemiah that Ezra was reading is called the Book of the Law or the Law of Moses, and it probably contained at least a part of what's in our first five books of the Bible, the Bible that we can buy at Walmart or on Amazon. So there was a part of that in there, the story of God's intention in creation, his covenant with Abraham, the deliverance of the Israelites, and also his blessings and his warnings to the Israelites. Um, they, um, they listened probably to some part of the law that let them know that they indeed would always have a choice between reaping the rewards of faithfulness to God's way or reaping the consequences of evil if they turned aside from the law to love God and their neighbor. So some portion of this was read uh, to these people gathering in our scene. And what isn't uh, known, like if you're just reading here this little snippet, what we didn't know from reading that passage was their more recent history. Uh, it was which um, the, the Israelite people here um, over the last many generations, as I mentioned, they had had some evil leaders. They'd had evil kings. There were evil priests who were corrupt. They'd perverted justice. And they'd oppressed the poor. And uh, the Israelites had been carted off into exile by the Babylonian king. And so the group that's gathered here in Israel is actually this combination of some of the Israelites who'd returned from exile and some of the Israelites who just got left over, you know, in the, in, in the land of Israel, hadn't been carted off to exile. Um, and the ones who had come back, they'd been given permission by King Artaxerxes of Persia. Um, and I say the king of Persia released them because uh, Persia had overtaken Babylon while, while the Jews were in exile. So, um, so one of the lead characters here is Ezra the priest, and he'd gotten permission from the king of Persia to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, uh, had just been decimated. So he went back. He found uh, a band of other Israelites, you know, living there who really didn't have any religious instruction and were worshiping other gods. And he sort of like corralled them all into this project of rebuilding their place of worship, rebuilding the, the temple to uh, worship God. So he was of priestly descent, and he understood the law of God better than the others. And then soon after, Ezra came, and they did this really long project of rebuilding the temple. Um, a man named Nehemiah came back from exile. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Um, and so ha got a lot of permissions and protections to like go back into Israel. Um, but Nehemiah came because the city still didn't have a wall around it. And so a, an ancient city without a wall was just waiting for calamity. So even though this uh, temple had been built, the rest of the city hadn't been restored. And literally any enemy, any other nation could come in and just decimate it again because they did not have a wall. So Nehemiah came. He worked with a group of people. And through a lot of opposition and a lot of hardship and a lot of struggle and over many years, the temple and the wall were completed. And what we see here uh, in this scene is that for the very first time since the exile, the people of Jerusalem are actually gathering for what is a first church service, right? They're asking 
please instruct us in the way of God. Please educate us so we even know what this temple is all about and what uh, what our God is all about. And uh, certainly Nehemiah and Ezra want to educate them so that they can avoid the mistakes of the past. So they even built a platform for him, for Ezra, you know? So it's really kind of like a church service, right? So everybody could hear it, everybody could see him. So Ezra reads from the book of the law, and it seems that whatever this group of Israelites were hearing was kind of new to them. Like they were understanding it in a new way, understanding anew the sins of their ancestors. Perhaps they didn't fully realize the rebellion of the past or the injustice perpetrated by their relatives. Maybe they just didn't know the ways and laws of God and what it meant to be faithful to him. So they listen eagerly, and they seem to be just opening themselves to this experience of listening, which doesn't seem easy because it could have been six hours. You know, he started in the early morning and kept reading to the end of the day, and they probably had to be very quiet so they could hear his voice. Uh, And then the priests who are underneath Ezra's leadership are walking among the people, and they're like, did you catch that? Like, did you understand what he was saying right here? Let me, if you didn't get it, let me explain it a little better for you. Like they're amplifying it and they're interpreting it so they can really get it. And as the reading goes on and as they're understanding it, I think they're surprised and their surprise leads to grief and it leads to mourning over this new knowledge. Um, it, this, the scripture doesn't say why exactly they were crying, but I think that we can put a few dots together and realize that they are fully understanding now the reason for their national trauma, the reason for their exile, um, that they had walked away from God's promises and um, had sinned grievously. Uh, and yet Ezra and the governor Nehemiah and all the priests, as they see them weeping, they begin to say, hey, it's okay. Don't cry anymore. It's okay. You get it now, right? And in fact, now that you get it, now that you understand, it's actually a time to rejoice because you've turned toward God. <clears throat> and God is a God who rejoices when his people turn toward him. He's a God who celebrates Repentance. He's a God who celebrates it with joy and feasting. And so they tell the people, dry your tears and go have a celebration. Go eat some cheesecake and drink some champagne. You know, go have uh, a steak, something like that. And they're, and they're told, like, and if you know people who don't have some celebration food, send them some portions so they can partake uh, in this joyous day, this joyous occasion Um, Because the joy from the Lord is your strength in this. You may be weak with sorrow right now, but the Lord rejoices over your heart and the fact that you turn toward him and his joy is your strength. So go and celebrate. And then we read that the people went off and they had a great celebration and they shared their cheesecake and champagne and their steak um, because they understood what had been said to them. They understood that the the scriptures and they'd repented and they understood the application given by the priests, which was an invitation to rejoice. This month we have been talking about opening ourselves to God and we've been talking about opening ourselves to God through prayer mostly. Um, living a life of prayer where we um, take time focusing on God, quieting ourselves, removing distractions, contemplating scripture, meditating on, 
on some attribute of God. And when we live a life that includes prayer like that, you know, we are simply making ourselves available and opening ourselves to God so that he can reveal himself more to us and so that the Holy Spirit can encounter us for us to sense the love of God, which is really what transforms us. But that type of quiet prayer is actually not the only way that we can open ourselves to God. And in fact, there's many ways to do that. But uh, today, what we see is that hearing and reading the scriptures, immersing ourselves in the Bible is actually another way we can open ourselves to God. The Israelites essentially had this epic group read aloud, right? And as they listened over the hours, things began to shift in their hearts as they talked about it with the the different priests, things began to shift. They gained understanding. They experienced conviction and grief, but ultimately they were they were led to experience joy from the Lord. And, you know, you might be sitting here and you might have asked in your life, you know, what role should reading the scriptures play in my life? What role should it have in the life of a Christian? Um, the Israelites, after all, did not walk around with the Bible on their phones. They could not stop in at a Walmart, right, and buy an Old Testament and a New Testament. Um, so at what role should scripture play in our lives? Well, I want to answer it by saying that Jesus, um, who's our model, he legitimated and demonstrated the value of reading the Old Testament scriptures. Um, reading them and relying upon them as a source of authority. Uh, it was also his practice to read them and listen to the reading of scripture. And he knew many by heart. He'd been formed by them. In the Gospel of Luke, the narrator tells us in chapter four, Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, dot, dot, dot. Jesus knew exactly what he was looking for when he went to read the scroll. You know, being religiously devout in our Bible study, along with other things that we might do as Christians, I think has gotten a bad rap in the last few years. Often we might think, that religious devotion shown through regular church attendance or tithing or prayer or Bible study are just extra. You know, like you don't really need to do that unless you're a super Christian. Um, and we might, in fact, see people who build their lives around these things and think, gosh, you know, they do all these religious things, but they actually don't seem very Christ-like. Uh, and unfortunately, um, devout religious people are the most in danger of appearing like hypocrites, right? Because they're doing all the stuff that, that we're supposed to do, but it's not bearing fruit in their lives. And so maybe some of us have just gotten turned off from these things, these practices. However, Jesus demonstrated devotion to the scriptures without any hypocrisy. He demonstrated devotion to reading scripture as a way of life. In this passage in Luke, he went to his hometown and we're told that on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. He was at church, essentially, and he didn't just happen to go one weekend. He went every Sabbath. It was his custom to go on the Sabbath. This was a regular habit of his. And one of the most important things that happened in the synagogue on the Sabbath was the reading of scripture. And this is where Jesus would hear and he would internalize and he would be shaped by the scriptures. So I think if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should seek to use him as a model for our lives. 
and emulate what he modeled. And I don't think we can underestimate the value of knowing and immersing ourselves in scripture because it really is one of the foundational ways in which God will speak to us and shape us and comfort us and console us and direct us. And when we begin to open ourselves to God by orienting our lives around scripture, there are some things that that are going to happen and not necessarily in this order, but I think they're going to happen to you in growing regularity. And the first one is that I think we'll grow in our love for God and our worship of God. Like, as we really immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus and scripture, um, one, we'll become more aware of who God really is, and not just because we're reading it in a book, but because it's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will illuminate who God is for us. Like, we can actually encounter God in our experience of reading scripture and encounter truth and, and know that God is speaking to our hearts. The other thing that I think will happen with growing regularity if you build your life around scripture is that you will be diagnosed by scripture. Like the Bible will let us know if we're spiritually sick. The Bible will let us know if we're spiritually well. It will diagnose us. And we will see ourselves more clearly in the light of God. And when we do see ourselves more clearly, we may respond like this group of Israelites with mourning and grieving, we may at times be diagnosed as, oh, we're unhealthy. I have an unhealthy attachment to wealth. Oh, I'm unhealthy because I've been gossiping about these people at work. Um, we may come to a, a grief or a brokenness over that, uh, the state of our own, our own soul, but that's okay. It's a good thing to, to have a kind of repentance and a turning. Um, but the third thing we're going to experience is that we will also know the rejuvenating joy of the Lord because his intention is not that uh, we stay in a place of condemning ourselves or feeling bad about ourselves. Uh, correction from God, correction from Jesus in the Gospels is often issued with an invitation. Uh, it's an invitation to turn. It's an invitation to see things differently. Uh, it's an invitation to repent and we find that when, when we realize that, we need to do that, we can expect that the joy from the Lord will be our strength, that um, the joy God has in our turning toward him will be shared with us, that we don't need to, to go about with a heavy heart and get bogged down in despair or hopelessness because we realize, oh, we've been gossiping, you know, or, oh, we've, like, really mishandled our resources, so how do we open ourselves to God through engagement with the scriptures? Uh, one, I mean, coming to church on Sunday, great. Do that with regularity. You are going to hear the scriptures every week. Uh, number two, set aside time during the week. Maybe you could set aside five minutes or ten minutes a day or three times a week um, on YouVersion, which is a Bible app. They have all kinds of Bible reading plans. So... It will tell you today you're going to read chapter one of the Gospel of Mark. Um, or it will give you a verse of the day. If that's all you can think about that day, you could read a verse of the day. Um, so just set aside time. Decide um, what you think you can do and how you think you can fit it in. I had a friend today who said, um, I, I always have five minutes. If something's just going to take five minutes, I can always make five minutes. For She was talking about self-care. But we can always make five minutes, you know, to make sure that scripture is just a piece of our lives. Um, 
Alternatively, you might be somebody who really wants to just read longer portions of scripture. So you could set aside an hour on the weekend and just say, I'm just going to read until my time's up. And I'm just going to take in this story and ponder it. Um, and then the second thing is have a plan for what you're going to read. Uh, whether you're going to use your Bible app. Are you trying to read your Bible in a year? A lot of people do that. They challenge themselves to read the Bible in a year. Um, is your plan to just read one short portion of scripture over and over all week just to get a sense of it? Um, first, all the details, and then just to sort of like mull it over and meditate on it. Um, because that's another way of reading scripture is to do so prayerfully and slowly. Um, the other thing you can do is join a Bible study where you can read the scriptures with other people and you can say, what in the world with other people who are reading the scriptures and going, what in the world does this mean? And Bible studies are awesome because you just can like stumble along with each other and and by the end, there's always some illumination. There's always some sense of, oh, like the scripture has diagnosed my heart. Like I actually feel like God is leading me in a particular direction. And if you'd like to join an online Bible study, talk to me because I'm wanting to coordinate that. So it's uh, most ideal for the most uh, people and their schedules uh, here who are part of this community. So I do believe that if you make scripture a part of your life, if you become de devoted to immersing yourself in scripture, you're going to grow in your love and your knowledge of God, as well as in your self-understanding. We talk a lot about the gospel here at City Church, the good news about Jesus. And it's become a mission of mine to never have a church service where I don't explain again or tell the story of what the good news is. And yet we can tell the story of the good news in many different ways. And today, the story of the good news that I want to share with you is that while the truth about God and ourselves may lead us to sorrow, may lead us to self-diagnose, may lead us to repent, it's ultimately meant to lead us to joy and truth and worship of God because God is love and grace, right? We can have joy when we repent because today is a new day. As Ellen Montgomery, one of my favorite authors, characters said, it's a new day, it's a fresh day with no mistakes made in it yet, right? With God, there's always a clean slate when we come to him and, re and repent and turn. God rejoices over our turning from a broken past or from sin. And this is one way to describe the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to preach. Turn toward God and you'll have life. Turn from your sins, they'll be forgiven, and you'll experience life, a joy, and a peace that's not dependent on your circumstances. Um, we are going to take communion together today. We know that on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, um, the Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he said, this bread is my body, he meant this, my body that's broken on the cross. My body that was broken on the cross to show you like what great lengths I will go to, to forgive. What great lengths I will go, I will suffer when people nail me to the cross. So this is my body. Remember my radical forgiveness when you take this bread. So why don't we take the bread together today?
And then after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, right? The blood is shed to show you I forgive sin. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let's drink this together. I have a prayer I'd like you to invite you to participate in a communion prayer this morning. And Jace is going to put it up. Um, and I invite you to read the words in bold print. Oh God, you are over all. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our lips to sing your praise. Restore all people in and through Christ. Christ.